Why don't we welcome those who are watching online, maybe from another country, maybe another state, maybe they're sick, they couldn't be with us. Let's give it up for those who are watching online. Welcome wherever you're watching from. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Again, if it's your first time or if you've been here a hundred times, I just want to draw your attention to this card. You probably got this on your way in. We want you to know that you're not a number here, but we know that you have a story. You have prayer needs. And maybe today is your day to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you want to get baptized or join a circle. Please mark it on this paper right here and drop it off in that black box. There's more over there if you didn't get one, but we would love to follow up with you, whether it's a serious prayer concern, you're just saying, hey, I'd love to even join the dream team. I'm new, but I would love to get more plugged in. Would you bow your heads with me and let's jump into the word together today. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you are with us. Lord, I thank you that we were not worthy, but by the blood of Christ, you've made us worthy, that you tore the veil so that we could have access into your presence, into your house. But God, we thank you that this church building is not just a place where we gather. It's not just the only place where we can meet you, but because the veil has been torn, we can meet you anywhere, 24-7, 365. But I thank you that when the body of believers come together, that there be encouragement this morning, that you would help me exhort the congregation today. God, that you would help us follow you even when our feelings are going by the wayside. God, give us faith this morning to trust you, to surrender to you, even when we don't even know what it will look like next. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. amen. We are in week number four of a series that we are calling Customized. And this series was to take four weeks to break down the spiritual gifts. Again, if you are brand new to church, if you've been coming to church for a long time, I want to speak to both groups this morning. Maybe you're someone that's like, hey, I already know my spiritual gifts. I want to go even deeper this morning. Maybe I'm talking to someone that's like, hey, I haven't been to church in a long time, but I'm just checking this church out. I just want to hear a word today to be encouraged. But we've been in this series to basically say, hey, first off, we need to know who we are apart from what we do. That so much of us today, we find our identity in our vocation or what we do as a parent, but we know that our identity is in the cross alone. Can I get an amen this morning? That We thank you, Lord, that we know who we are in you first before we know what we do on this planet. That he chose us, he called us, he anointed us, he set us apart. And we've been breaking this down week by week. And last week was Father's Day and we talked about how the grace of God, the kindness of God leads us into sonship. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more this morning. To take it a step further, I want to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. We're going to be reading out the English Standard Version this morning. Verse 18, it begins like this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending nets, and he called them as well. Verse 22. Immediately, somebody say immediately, Immediately. they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Here's the title of the sermon this morning. This has been a word that's been on my heart for months now, and I'm so excited to release this and encourage you. And I pray that the Lord would just hide me behind the cross. I pray that the the word would just speak to you this morning. Cast a wide net. 
Cast a wide net. Why don't you turn to your neighbor this morning and tell him, cast it wide. Cast a wide net. This is what the Lord told me before we planted this church. I remember having a conversation with someone and I, I, I was asking the question, should we do an online service? Should we just do in-person only? And I was wrestling through this and I was praying through and I was researching and I was talking to other pastors and mentors and I was in a hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia while we were visiting our partner church, 12 Stone Church. Shout out to them if they see this. And I just heard the spirit of the Lord so clearly in my heart. The, The father told me, Andy, cast a wide net. Cast a wide net. I know you don't understand it. I know that you're, you're meeting in this small building in Westfield, Indiana. People don't know where Westfield's at. It doesn't matter. They said the same thing. Can anything good come from Nazareth, right? Haha, ha, I didn't plan that. But I really did feel like the Lord told me for such a time as this, God would ignite a movement to cast such a wide net here in Westfield, Indiana to change the world one life at a time. And I said, okay, Lord. We'll do it. And months later, we're connecting with people from different countries, different states. People are being touched by what's happening within these four walls going out into the world. Is anyone else thankful for that? The Lord told me, Andy, cast a wide net. I remember in 2017, I was on a date. You're like, how do these two stories connect? I was taken on a date by a girl that uh, was not my wife, and uh, she was a great girl, great Christian family. I have nothing bad to say about her. I won't mention her name, but she came from a great family. And she took me on a date, and uh, she took me fishing. Now, if you look at me, and you look at me again, I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to go on a fishing trip or a hunting trip or anything like that, okay? So please. But this was one of the moments I knew this was not my wife. And uh, we, we were on this trip, and we got out onto this little pond, and she turned up the country music. And I was like, Lord, I thought this was the one, but I'm really doubting right now. Because if this is my wife, and uh, one of the things that Leanne's and I bonded over when we met, we were like, neither of us listen to country music. Praise God. Let's go. Let's go listen to like some smooth jazz. Let's turn on some hip-hop and like finally, when I met Lienza later, I was like, it all makes sense. But she was really passionate, her family, about fishing. Now, I want to take this story a little bit deeper. I know it's a funny story. Here's the first point if you're taking notes. And I want to go back to the text, and I want to unpack what I mean by this. Jesus does not shame our passions. He actually gives purpose to them. He doesn't shame what you're passionate about this morning. He doesn't shame the hobbies or the interests that you're into. Obviously, if they're sinful, then that's another story. But if it's an innocent hobby, you like to play basketball, you like to cut hair, you like to make music, you're an artist, I don't know what your thing is. He doesn't shame that, but he actually speaks purpose and actually will plant a platform into that. Look at what Matthew 4.19 says. Follow me, Christ says, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now here's what I want to share with you this morning. I had it in my notes like this. Jesus speaks to them in a language that they can understand. Jesus didn't show up on the scene and just say, hey, follow me. I'm going to go teach you some things. Just come follow me. He spoke the language of that culture. He spoke to fishermen as fishermen. He spoke to farmers as farmers. He spoke to tax collectors as tax collectors. He used parables. Why? To speak their language so that he could connect with them. Notice that Jesus did not show up to call these disciples at a church service. 
He didn't walk into the synagogue. He didn't walk into a church building like this. He walked into their occupation and called them. In the middle of their day, it probably felt like an interruption, but it was God intervention in this moment. Christ says, follow me. He didn't just say, hey, become a Christian. Believe in me. He said, follow me. Now, if you look at the context of this story, it's really common that rabbis would say, follow me, come and learn from me. So this wasn't just a crazy thing or a cultish thing. Jesus said, follow me, come and learn from me. And immediately they dropped their nets. I remember around that time when I was taken fishing. At the same time, I was at a different church. I remember I had different conversations with people and I got labeled as the Nike evangelist. And I thought that was hilarious. But to be honest, I was so ashamed of my passion for sports, for music, and for fashion. I thought, in order to be a pastor, man, maybe I just need to like get rid of all of that. Maybe I just need to stop like liking it. Does anyone else feel like that when you become a Christian? You're like, I don't know what to do about the things that I like to do. Now, if they're sinful, again, that's a different conversation. So hang with me. He's not going to speak purpose into a passion that's sinful. Are we on the same page? But I remember this recently, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, wherever you're coming from this morning, do it all for the glory of God, Paul tells the church of Corinth. Now you've got to understand, if you're going to speak the language of the culture, you have to understand the times of the culture. Timothy Keller just passed away, and he was a famous theologian, writer, author, speaker. He influenced generations now. And it's crazy, I started researching some of his work just before he passed away. And one of the things that he said is, if you actually look back in the 1950s compared to where we're at now, in the 20s. Isn't it crazy to say that, the 2020s? We're in the 20s? The roaring 20s, come on. And uh, he said, hey, I want you to know this, that in the 1950s when Billy Graham was doing his crusades, it was basically connect the dots of what people already believed in America. That... Traditionally, people at that time in the 1950s in America, they believed there was a higher power. They believed that going to church was a good thing, a moral thing, that Jesus is a really good, actually God character, and that all you had to do is just gather a bunch of people and really connect the dots for them. But now in the 2020s, we actually live in what we would call a post-Christian culture, a post-Christian nation. That if you look at the statistics, if you look at the Barna statistics, just look it up, the, the number of people that are claiming unaffiliated with any religion or of any other belief in a higher power is increasing more and more and more. The amount of Christians that would even say, I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to heaven, which we do believe at one church. Let me just make that really clear that Christ said, I am the only way to the Father. There is no other religion. There is no other name under heaven. It's just through Christ alone. The amount of Christians today that would say, I don't even believe that. That your truth is your truth. That your religion will all of a sudden lead up to heaven, but we've been deceived. We're distracted. He needed us to know, again, we live in a post-Christian culture. Why is that so important to know? In order for us to cast a wide net, we can't wait for them to come to us. We have to go to them. Do you believe that? People aren't coming to church like they used to. 
Yes, there's moments and glimpses and seasons of church growth, but if you look at the trends and what's happening, we can't wait for people to come to us and fill this place up. We have to go to them. That's part of why we said, you know what? We're going to go to this YMCA 18 months from now because we're going to go to them. We're not going to wait for them to come to us. We're going to step into the culture and we're going to learn how to speak their language but still stay set apart. So I want to show a couple pictures up on the screen. This is a a picture of actually Darren Gray, who is an NFL chaplain on the left here. He has spoken in locker rooms of the NFL all over the country. He's an incredible friend and mentor of mine. And this is Barbara, his assistant, who has been an assistant to Tony Dungy for years. And they they work with Tony Dungy right now just to, to help him increase his impact for the kingdom of God and the platform that he is working on behind the scenes And I remember this moment because I was in Salt Lake City, Utah. I've mentioned this multiple times to the congregation that I actually took a trip to NBA All-Star Weekend this past February. Now, I know at first glance when you hear that, you're like, that sounds like a fun vacation or like cool, all right? Like, do you want me to give you a high five or something? But, But God sent me on mission there. And you may not understand, but I want to help, I want to help you understand that God sent me on mission there with these two. And I walked into this room, and like I shared last sermon and weeks prior, that, that my passion for basketball, that at times has even been obsessive and over the top. I walked into this room, and right off to the left, there was another little banner and, and booth right here, and it was Sean Marion. It was Jason Terry, and I, I go, Darren. I go, that's, that's Sean Marion. That's Jason Terry. He goes, Who? And it was this light bulb moment where all of a sudden, everything that I once cared about, everything that I once followed, and my calling intersected in one moment. And it made me emotional. I want to go to this next picture. I was sitting at the All-Star Weekend with the two of the representatives for He Gets Us. You might have seen this commercial in the Super Bowl. He Gets Us is actually a Christian campaign to really step into the culture and put Jesus as the focus, to lift the gospel high, whether it's NBA teams, NFL teams, MLB teams, it doesn't matter, whether it's media or fashion. And I had this conversation, another light bulb moment, where all of a sudden I realized, Jesus, you don't shame my passions, but you give purpose to them. That you don't shame me for what I actually liked, but in one moment it was like my whole life just made sense. I'm sitting in between these two guys at the Rising Stars game and we're talking about evangelism. We're talking about spoken word. We're talking about basketball. And I literally was like, Lord, like this, this is too good to be true. Like, are you sure I'm supposed to like, is this, is this okay for me to be here? And it was like, my father was just smiling on me in that moment. Andy, this is why you were created. You were born for this moment. I don't shame you. I give purpose into your life. And I take your passions and I actually will turn it into a platform for my glory. It was a moment I'll never forget. In this moment, you can go to the next picture. This is actually a picture of me and Nobles on the left. And uh, shout out to Nobles. I, I told Noby that I would shout him out of this, this sermon so he might be watching from Cleveland, Ohio. But he's the chaplain of the Cleveland Browns and the Cavaliers. And then this is Glenn. Glenn, you might be seeing this. He's the chaplain of the Chicago Bulls. Boo Bulls, but uh, sorry, go Pacers. I had to. 
And uh, we don't really have much against the Cavaliers except LeBron, but the Bulls, they just, they did us wrong for so long. But, um, but again, like, I walked into this God-ordained moment that God saw from the beginning of my life, before I was ever even born, that I would step into this moment, not for me, not for the things that I even liked, but for His glory, to step into the culture, to start to speak the language, but still... This is what we need to know. Can you speak the language and still say, set apart? Can you be in the world and not of it? Can you know the times and the days and the seasons that the world is operating under, but still no, no, I'm still set apart. I'm still anointed. I won't cross that line. I don't talk that way. I don't even wear stuff that way. I will have a line right here that says, I will go to here just so I could reach you, but I'm still my father's. I don't belong to the world. That this is not our home. That we're passing through to our ultimate home, which is heaven. So whether it's the salon, whether it's music, whether it's fitness, whether it's dance, whether you're into cars, he will take your passion if you allow him to and make Jesus the center and the priority and turn it into a platform where it becomes a ministry. That basketball for me was no longer just a hobby. It was a platform to make disciples. I one time wrote in my journal, I will not be a fisher of men. I will be a hooper of men. (laughs) I'm not joking. Just thought I'd share that with you. But some of us, we want to be so in the world and relate so much to the world that this is what we do. We bait and switch that we want to be liked so much by people that are not believers, that we want to be cool with all of our coworkers, all of our family members, and all of our extended family members, that we're never going to rock the boat. But Jesus said, if you're really following me, you will actually have some people that will hate you. I would ask you this question, church, this morning. Is if you're not being persecuted, are you really living for him? Only you can answer that question. Because if you're not being persecuted, I would ask you the question, are you rocking the boat enough to live for him? To get some pushback? To get some comments? To get some spiritual warfare? Because if you're not, you might be running the same way as those demons. You might. Matthew says this in his gospel. Jesus gives the great commission, not the great suggestion, but the great commission. Therefore, go and what? Somebody say, make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. Is anyone else thankful that we don't do discipleship on our own, but God gave us the Holy Spirit to go with us? He lives in us, He's all around us, and He leads step by step. He's with us. But let me just make it plain and simple and clear for you, church, today. No matter what your gifts or your passions are, all of us are called to make disciples. All of us. No one is excused from that. We take the spiritual gifts sometimes and we say, well, evangelism and discipleship is just for the evangelists. No, Jesus gave this commission to all believers. Go and make disciples. I remember doing some more research about where the church is headed into the 20s and beyond. And I I remember finding at different conferences and things that I was researching and studying that there's there's different kinds of churches and where they're at and where they're growing. I want to encourage us this morning, one church, what kind of church will we be? Here's the first level of churches. Subtracting, 
A church that might be backsliding. A church that is caught in sin and craziness or an individual or a leader that's caught in sin. They're backsliding, subtracting. Number two would be plateauing. Maybe in your walk this morning, you just feel like, Lord, I don't know how I could go any deeper. Like, is there really anything more than just Sunday morning? Is there really anything any more than just watching a, a sermon on TV after church or joining a circle? You might just feel like, I've just, I've plateaued, Andy. If you want to know how you've plateaued, do you spend more time talking about the past of what God has done in your life or what he's doing in you right now? Ask that question. Some of us have stories and testimonies that they're great stories, but what about what God has done in your life today? What about what God has spoken to you last night? When was the last time that you heard from the Father in the secret place? Was it 10 years ago? Was it yesterday? Or number three, are you adding? Are you taking steps in your walk with God? Are you seeing people added into the kingdom of God? Jesus said this so specifically in Matthew chapter 7. He said, you want to know the difference between a false prophet and a disciple? You will know them by their fruit. That's how you'll recognize if they're actually a disciple or if they just claim to be a Christian. Do you, do you have fruit in your life? Do you have the fruits of the Spirit in your life? Do you have the fruit of making disciples and leading people to Jesus? Have you led someone to Jesus before? And I'm not shaming, I'm not throwing shade or anything. I'm, I'm encouraging you to say, are you a believer or are you a disciple? Number three, adding. Number four, are you reproducing? This is what it means to make disciples, that you say, I'm going to take what God did in me and now I'm going to pass to my daughter or I'm going to pass to my coworker and I'm going to meet with them and I'm going to talk with them and I'm going to open up the Bible with them. Number five is multiplying where the disciples you're making are now making disciples. This is when the kingdom of God is exponential impact, where you don't just pour into someone that just came to Christ, but you start pouring into a leader, and you speak into someone that you know has a gifting and a call in their life, and you invest in them. You reproduce, and then you multiply. Are you with me this morning? I just want to break it down for you so you understand. Matthew 28, this is what it says, and teach them, somebody say teach, Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And as you study the times that we're living in, you all, the biblical illiteracy of the generation that's coming up and where we're at right now is crazy. I just want to make this so plain for you all this morning. Is we can't teach if we don't read. You can't make disciples if you're not in the word of God. You can't lead someone else to Jesus unless you're really living one with the vine and hearing from the Holy Spirit and knowing when it's time to plant, when it's time to water, when it's time to harvest. We can't teach if we don't read. And so many times I think we overcomplicate it. Like we got to get involved in all these activities. We got to start becoming a, a great Christian. Here's where it starts, where nobody's watching you, where nobody sees. You get on your hands and your knees, you open up your Bible and you say, Lord, teach me. I want to know you. Would you help guide me? Would you help soften my heart? Nobody else sees. It's a secret place. It's your quiet time with the Lord. Man, I heard this the other day from an evangelist that I was listening to on a podcast. And I'm going to have to think about this because this was convicting. He was talking about tithes and offerings. And he said, what if we tithed our time to God and we gave him 2.4 hours a day? Everyone else in this planet, we all have 24 hours. What if you gave God 2.4, a tenth every day? 4 a.m., 5 a.m. I know it's challenging, but could we be the church that goes there? 
Could we be the men and the women that say, I'm going to lose sleep. I'm going to lose a hobby over this. I might even lose a game for this. But it's so important that I hear from him to start my day. It's so important that I get in the word so that I deny myself, that I take up my cross, and I really actually walk this thing out. I want to challenge you this morning. Here's the truth is you can only make disciples if you're a disciple yourself. And I know it's a hard word, but I want to ask you this question this morning. Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? If you break down what it means to be a disciple, I would break it down into three things. Number one, you're submitted to the Lordship of Christ. That he's not just your Savior, he's your Lord. That he speaks into every area of how you handle your life. Not just your relationships and you hold your wallet behind your back. But he speaks to every area. He speaks to what you watch. He speaks to what you listen to. He speaks to how you treat people and how you talk about people behind their back. Are you submitted to the Lordship of Christ? The second thing would be this. Do you have love for God and love for neighbor? Because Jesus said these are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that if you just go to church and you just do worship songs and if you just go around talking and quoting scriptures but you don't have love for people, you're just making noise. You're not actually walking out the gospel. And the third thing that I would say of what it means to be a disciple is this someone who makes disciples. I want to ask you that question this morning is if Jesus said they would recognize us by our fruit, if we're not making a disciple, Are you a disciple? Only you can answer that question this morning. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they what? They followed him. See, here's what I'll put up on the screen real quick. There's a difference between a believer. There's a difference between a believer. You can put this up on the screen, Jeremy, and a follower. I want to make this bold statement this morning, and I know I might be stepping on some toes, but I want to rock the boat because I care about you too much. I care about your soul too much. I care about your intimacy with Jesus too much to just sugarcoat this thing and to go through the motions. We will not be a church that does that. I will not get on this stage if we're just going to go through the motions. I will not lead this church if we're literally just going to be a a group of people that says, hey, we did Sunday. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be so in love with Jesus. I want to rock the boat enough that I don't care if we're persecuted. I don't care because I want to live for him. Time is too short. I don't want to mess around. So I want to make this bold claim, and I want to challenge you all this morning. Much of the church of America today, we're educated beyond our level of obedience. We have more access to YouTube, sermons, podcasts, books combined than any other generation in the history of Christianity. And we're educated way beyond our level of obedience. If you look at the church in China, as as you look at churches in other countries, third world countries, they don't have knowledge-based discipleship. They have obedience-based discipleship. I remember hearing this on Instagram recently, that there was a a group of, of Chinese believers. They were gathered in a prison, and they only had so many Bibles to go around. And I just wonder, church, one day if we'll be there 20, 30, 40 years from now. And... I remember hearing this story where there were believers in this circle and they only had so many Bibles. And this one lady said, you can have my Bible. And the, the other person said, are you sure? Like, like what, if, what if I need your Bible? And she said, I've already got it up here. She already memorized the chapter that they were going through word by word. 
She had it in her heart. It wasn't just up here. It was right here. Knowledge-based discipleship, obedience-based discipleship. Are you with me this morning? Cast a wide net. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, cast a wide net. This gets me excited. Because I know what kind of church we are. And I know what kind of church we will be. Here's what John Brevere says. The bait of Satan is the spirit of offense. Let me ask you this question. I told you a story about fishing, right? Now, let's just bring it back to a lighthearted moment here because this is a little more intense. If you saw me fishing in an aquarium, what would you think of me? Like, like you saw this giant aquarium, you see me casting out a net and a line in an aquarium, what would you think? I think this is what the Church of America looks like today. We've already taken the bait from an offense of a brother or a sister inside the body of Christ. We're not casting a net into the ocean. We're casting a net in an aquarium. We're fishing for things that have already been caught. Our lines are tangled together in an aquarium when God is saying, cast your net into the deep, open up your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. The world is coming to you. But we're fishing in an aquarium. See, here's the truth. You can't hold a fence and cast a net at the same time. There are things that we have held against other believers, maybe even in this body, maybe somewhere else. We're so bitter and we have so many grudges against other Christians and other pastors that the Lord is saying, before you even cast a net today, bring that to the altar. Go to that person and say, I need to forgive you. I need reconciliation here because I can't hold a fence and a grudge and cast a net as wide as the Lord wants me to. That I've got to be right with God. I've got to be right with people and be a person of peace. Are you with me this morning? So how do you make disciples? If we're going there this morning, let me just encourage you with this. I think the deepest Christians on the planet are not the ones who know the most. I think they're the ones that are following Jesus into the deep. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith as they call it, Every single person that they mention, it says, by faith. Somebody say, by faith. faith. It wasn't about knowledge. It was all about obedience. The reason why their names were mentioned is not because they had the Old Testament memorized. They didn't mention their names because they took a a, a really great master's class. And I have my master's degree. I know all that's important. But they mentioned by faith, Abraham went to a place where he did not understand. He would later receive as his inheritance. He obeyed and he went. By faith, Enoch followed God. They were honoring them for their obedience, not their knowledge. So how do we actually walk in obedience in discipleship? Here's five practical ways. If you're taking notes, I don't want to just preach at you. I want to talk with you. Here's the first one, one one-on-one. Obviously, gender appropriate here. I think like you have to take all that into context. But especially if, if I'm a guy meeting him with another guy, I think this is a great chance to go out to coffee and just say, hey, I want to just hear your story. Let's just have a one-on-one. Let's get together. I would love to hear your story. Again, people want to know how much you care before they care about how much you know. So just show them that you care. Show them that you're going to show up for them. Show them that you're going to call them and think about them. Here's the second way that you can do discipleship is through circles. 
Maybe it's five to eight people, 12 people. Number three, set the example. I remember so many different times in my life, as I I look back, there was a, a research study that actually came out from a group that I can't remember, but we talked about it in one of my master's classes at Indiana Westland as a ministry student. And they did this research project, and they, they wanted to see, of all these kids that grew up in a Christian home, which ones are the ones that are still following God after they leave from college? And you know what the research study said? It wasn't the families that, that did devotions every day, as much as that's important. It wasn't the families that took them to VBS every summer, as much as that's important. It wasn't the families that took them to a Christian camp every summer, as much as that's important. It was the families where the kids saw the parents actually living out what they would say on Sunday, Monday through Saturday. Those were the kids that were still following Jesus. Set the example. Recently, my daughter, I love Aliana so much. I was worshiping up here with with her in the front row, and she came up to me the other day, and she said, Daddy, look. She had her sunglasses right on, like her, her shirt collar, and she's like, I'm doing it like Daddy. And I'm like, okay, first off, I'm going to melt right here. But two, people are watching us, y'all. Your kids are watching you. Your kids are watching how you respond to pressures and stresses of life. They're watching you. Your friends and your coworkers are watching you when everyone else wants to cheat and manipulate and distort things behind the scenes and gossip. They're watching the way that you respond. Because you claim the name of Christ. You are not just a Christian. You're an ambassador for Jesus everywhere you go. Do you believe that? At the gas station, at the grocery store, behind closed doors, wherever you are, you bear the name of Jesus, the King of all kings. Set the example. Number four, seize the moment. I remember so many times as I look back at what my parents did with me, and I I give them so much credit to so many great things that they did investing in me, that there was this whitewater rafting trip my dad took me on. And again, we didn't do crazy family devotions every day. It wasn't like legalistic or anything, but he took me on this whitewater rafting trip, and he seized the moment of the season that I was going into. He seized the moment where I was going from eighth grade to ninth grade, and it was this moment that forever changed my life. Discipleship in so many ways, y'all, is seizing the moment. You don't have to have everything memorized. You don't have to be able to articulate every single viewpoint on why you believe what you believe, but just seize the moment. Number five is this. Invite them into your life. Invite them into the places and the passions and the places you're already doing life. If you're working out, invite them to go work out with you. If you're going to a concert, invite them to go to the concert. I don't know what concerts you're going to. Maybe you think about that later. But invite them into what you're doing to just show what Jesus showed us, that he, he didn't just talk at people. He did life with people. You see that in the life of Christ? I love what Wayne Schmidt, our general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church, said. He said, more lives were changed at tables than temples. Jesus modeled that for us to meet with people, to show up for people, to go play softball with people, right? And to just be a part of their life. Here's the last thing that I would encourage you for discipleship on the how-to is the I see in you. So much of discipleship is just seeing a leader, seeing the gift and the calling and the anointing and the value and the treasure in someone's life and just calling it out. 
when they are comparing themselves to other people, when they're hearing negative thoughts in their day all day long, they have self-worth issues. We get to be as ambassadors of Christ to speak into the heart and the soul of someone and say, I see in you worth and value and a calling. You are worth fighting for. You guys would not believe, it doesn't matter what age, how much that just breaks down walls. Speak value and worth into people. You know why? Because this, so much more is caught than taught. People are watching. People are watching the way that we live our lives, what we claim. Here's number two, and we'll be done in just a moment. I'm so thankful that as we look at this text, when Jesus calls these disciples, these dirty, nasty, bad, foul mouth language dudes, he chooses ordinary people to change the world. Is anyone else thankful for that? I don't know where you're coming from, but I want to just encourage you with this this morning as we close in just a few minutes. The devil will always give you an excuse on why God can't use you. Here's the first one. I doubt too much. Oh, Andy, I can never disciple someone. I can't lead someone to Jesus. I doubt too much. Let me just encourage you. Then the 11 disciples, Matthew 8, Matthew 28, 16 The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some, what? You're in good company. You might be saying this this morning. Andy, I'm too young. Let me just read the call of Jeremiah on his life. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Look at what the Lord says. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Verse 8, do not be afraid of them for I am with you. I will rescue you, declares the Lord. I'm thankful that Paul tells Timothy, don't let others look down on you because you're young, but set the example in speech, life, faith, and impurity. You might say, Andy, I'm, I'm too old. My life is already left. The train is gone and it's just too late. Like I'm getting too past my prime, and I don't know how God could ever use me. Let me just encourage you with this. The call of Abraham, Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go, somebody say go. go. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. This is the call of Abram to Abraham. And I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All people on earth will be blessed through you. Wow, that's an incredible calling. But Abraham, look at this. He went as the Lord told him. How old was he? He was 75. You're in good company. And I felt this prophetically as I was reading this text that some of us that have gotten into our 60s, our 70s, our 80s, and we might be asking the question, Andy, I don't know what I could do to disciple someone. Let me just encourage you. You're holding a baton that needs to be passed off to someone right now. That there is a generation that is rising up right now that is more hungry, more fierce, and more devoted than maybe any generation we have seen in a long time. And one of the best things you can do is to say, I see in you. Pass the baton. Raise up the next generation. Raise up an army. Raise up a group of leaders around you, a group of moms, a group of fathers around you, a group of young kids around you that you can say, I see in each and every one of you. Or you might say this, Andy, I'm too inexperienced. I don't know enough. Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were what? Unschooled, 
ordinary men. They were astonished. And they just took note that these men had been with Jesus. You're in good company. And lastly, you might say this, Andy, God can never use me. My past is too messed up. Let me just encourage you. Moses had a stutter and led the Israelites out of slavery. Paul was a Christian terrorist and wrote almost half of the New Testament. David committed adultery and murder and was a man after God's own heart. Noah was a drunk and was used to save the world from a flood. Rahab was a prostitute and was in the lineage of the Messiah. Peter cut off a man's ear and was chosen to be a key apostle. Elijah was depressed and suicidal and God used him as a national leader. You are are in good company. Does anyone else believe that? That God has called you, he has marked you, he has set you apart. The enemy cannot destroy what God has spoken on your life. The plan of God on your life is sovereign. No one can snatch the keys. So let me encourage you with this, church. Go in his confidence that he has spoken into you. Here's number three. Would you stand up to your feet this morning? See, church, this is where we move from knowing to doing. We could spend three, four weeks talking about spiritual gifts, but if it doesn't result in obedience and fruit, it was in vain. Do you believe that? You could get a spiritual gifts test. You could get all these new revelations. But if it doesn't translate into action, it was in vain. So here's number three I want to tell you. Cast your net to the other side this morning. Here's what you need to know. Coming back to the story. When Jesus called the disciples, he called a few of them. And when he called Peter, he told Peter, cast your net into the deep. I don't know if you remember this story, but at the beginning of the Gospels, it's it's shown in Luke chapter 5. Cast your net into the deep. And he catches so many fish that the boat begins to actually sink. Do you know the story I'm talking about? If you don't, that's okay. But I want to just show you how intimate, how loving, and how detailed our Savior is. This story picks up in John chapter 21. This is after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection. This is one of my favorite moments I see in the Gospels. Simon Peter said to them, hey, Guys, I'm going fishing. This is after the resurrection. They don't know that yet. They don't know that Jesus is going to come meet them again. This is actually the third time he's going to appear to them. But how many of y'all know that sometimes when you're in your walk with Jesus, you just go back to what's familiar? You just go back to fishing. You just go back to, to the work grind. You just go back to the Netflix. You just go back to what's familiar because why? that's just what we do as humans, right? But I'm so thankful that we serve a God that loves us so much that he meets us in the familiar, in the middle. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. They went out in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you not have any fish? Don't you love Jesus? They answered, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment and he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. This was a deja vu moment because they knew the Lord was meeting them again in the middle of their occupation, in the middle of their day-to-day, in the middle of a mundane moment, there was a miracle 
The other disciples came to the boat, dragging in the net full of fish. They were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got up from land, they saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid out in bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. So many that the first time the boat began to sink, but this time the net was not torn. This was a foreshadow, I believe, that one day we will meet the Lord, so to speak, on the shore of heaven. And before Jesus left at the disciples and before he sent the Spirit, this is a foreshadow, a prophetic moment that one day we will meet Jesus again and we'll be able to celebrate the well done, good and faithful servant. See, maybe I'm talking to someone that you feel like in your life right now, you've been working all night long and you haven't caught anything. That you're so depressed, you're so anxious, you're so fearful of what's to come and you're working and you're struggling and you're rowing, you're trying to cast the net and you can barely stay awake. You've just been casting your net, casting your net, doing it your way. And God comes to you this morning and says, if you would surrender to me, if you would give me your methods, and you would just be married to the message, cast your net on the other side. I know you're holding on to that old relationship. I know you're holding on to those old ways of thinking and doing, and I know you're trying to get a job by yourself, and I know you're trying to pay the bills by yourself, and I know you're trying to disciple your kids in your own strength, and you're trying to make disciples in your own strength, but Jesus comes humbly meek and humble to you this morning and says, cast your net on the other side. Cast it on the other side where the pressure is not on you, it's on him. And watch the Lord blow your mind. Watch him do so much in and through you that the world would forever be different because of your obedience. Cast your net and cast it wide. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. That for some of us this morning, we've been trying to cast a net in our own strength. And maybe you're saying, Andy, that would actually articulate to me not actually having a fully surrendered relationship to Jesus. That Andy, as I hear you talking about the difference between a cultural Christian and a disciple, a follower of Jesus, I would actually consider myself a cultural Christian this morning. You're hearing this message and you're just saying, Andy, I want to move to being a disciple. I want to move to being a follower of Jesus. I want to move to someone that makes disciples, who makes disciples, that reinvest what has been invested into me. I want to cast my net on the other side. If that's you this morning, would you just raise a hand? I see your hands. Anyone else want to make that decision this morning? Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I would just love to lead us in this prayer to give our lives to Jesus. If you just repeat this after me with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's say this all together as a family. Father, forgive me. I've tried to do this in my own strength. I surrender to you. I believe you're the Son of God. 
I believe you rose for me. So I give you my life. Fill me with your spirit. So I can tell others of how you've changed me. And it's in Jesus' name everyone said, amen and amen. Church, for such a time as this, cast a wide net. Would you lift the Lord a shout of praise this morning? If you believe he's worthy, he's called you, he's anointed you, and here's what you need to know, that with his spirit in you, you have what it takes. 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 Let's worship together.